The Y Curve with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing. Water, water everywhere. The wettest march in 40 years, yet there's a hosepipe ban in Devon and raw sewage is pouring into rivers and onto beaches. Something's gone badly wrong with the UK's water system. The companies that bought franchises to supply water services in the privatisation 34 years ago don't seem to be up to the task. Leaky, ageing pipes and a failure to invest in sewage processing or reservoirs. And there's a bigger problem. Climate change may mean we get less water. Meanwhile, there are claims that company shareholders get too much and repairs and upgrading get too little. So how do we make our water system work? Take it all back into state ownership? Change the rules so companies have to do what they're supposed to. Britain is thirsty for something better. That's what we look at this week on The Y Curve, brought to you by Wigmore Associates. The Y Curve. I mean, it is a problem, isn't it? I mean, on on so many levels. Yeah. But this, I mean, I think what's what has shocked people is just the amount of sewage going into 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 rivers. Well, when and, people are trying to swim in them, which well, is, exactly. I mean, we've got these, this, this tra- craze, haven't we, since the pandemic, yeah. where people do get into water for some peculiar reason. I guess it'll be a little bit warmer for them, but, <sighs> but not that pleasant, really. No, no vibe. And I mean, and what it does to the wildlife and all the rest of it as well, and and the fact that there is this hosepipe ban. I mean, you know, it does seem to have been raining pretty much since Christmas. Yeah. And yet... So it's an infrastructure question, isn't it? Well, it is. You know, the reservoirs aren't good. The pipes aren't good. Clearly, the sewage system isn't good. So then you have to think, is it just infrastructure investment? Is it the Mm. fact that, you know, it's not been in public hands? Well... Is it it profit-taking by the companies that have been handed these these franchises? Well, not even franchises, are they? They've been handed this this license to, you know, you might argue... Well, do what? And and with a utility that's ours. I mean, you know, Mm. water is here. It's it's, it's what humans have and need. How are we buying it? from private companies. I mean, there's a certain absurdity. Well, you know, there is always that argument, though, isn't it, that they will do it more efficiently than the public <laughs> sector will do. Well, it doesn't seem to be the case. But, I mean, that was the argument during the yeah, Thatcher yeah, yeah. era, obviously, through all of these. But you look at yeah, yeah. rail, water, you know, all the utilities, it seems to be that well, it hasn't turned out the way They're paying the shareholders. Be. They're not paying for the things that need to be doing. They're not putting the money into the places yeah. it needs to be. There's no investment. Because it's, all- it's too long-term. Yeah. That's the thing. You get someone in, you get a CEO yeah. who's there for a few years, all they're concerned about is uh, what what does it do to the share price? How much are they going to get at the end of it? So the system doesn't work. And mm. fundamentally, we need to find out what it is that can be done to make it work because we do need water. We, you know, there are lots of things we might not need, but we certainly need water. Well, if you are one of those CEOs of one of those water companies, you might be wondering what to do with uh, all your money. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, not, not sure that's the link you want, but okay, go ahead. But, I know where you know, you're going. If you've got a bid on the side and you're wondering what to do with it, and with inflation so high, shares falling, I mean, even bonds aren't the uh, safe choice for investment that they used to be. Just how do you protect your money? Well, it depends on your plan. Are you wanting to improve your retirement income? Do you want to ensure that you're passing the most on to your kids and grandkids? Or do you have more immediate needs, like ensuring your adequate health cover or you're paying for that extension to the house? Or maybe you are ready to downsize. Whatever your plan, Wigmore and Associates can help with that plan by ensuring that you make wise investments and pay no more tax than you have to. They are a small company with years of experience who uh, you can trust to look after your wealth. So give them a call on 0207 224 or visit them online at wigmore-associates.co.uk. Tell them that Phil and Roger sent you. Please uh, do. They are a uh, proud supporter of this they, podcast. They are. They make it possible, and uh, that's an important thing to bear in mind. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so they are backing this podcast and keeping us on the air. Now, water. 
Yes. Today. When we're going to, we've got someone who does know about water, how the system works and how it should work. It doesn't work, of course. And he's Dr. Kevin Grex. She's a lecturer in water science policy and management at the University of Oxford. And he joins us now. So, Kevin, why do you think we've got into the mess we're in, uh, in terms of, you know, perhaps there not being enough of a supply of water, but also this issue about us not being able to cope with the wastage? Is it, I mean, on the, at the surface level, it just seems to be pure and simple, a lack of infrastructure investment. Is, is that the basis of it? Um, I would tend to agree. I think it is a lack of infrastructure investment and, and especially like too little, too late. Um, and now mm. water companies play a game of catch up. Um, so we see these panically kind of like running around like like headless chicken. We need a reservoir here, this, um, because I think for the last 30 years, often it's just been a very good business for shareholders, but not for the actual water users in the country. So there's been no incentive then, really, to to invest, to actually put money into rather than taking out of the system. Or or is it a lack of of planning? Did they not foresee the scale of demand, for example? Um, I think that's another very interesting aspect. And I think that, um, I mean, one of my main, like, critique, not just with regard to the water sector, but we see this in other sectors as well in the UK, is that lack of planning. Remember, we had regional planning authorities under New Labour, and then as soon as the Tories got in, they got rid of them. And I think we're kind of seeing the result because we have that fragmented landscape, like literally like fragmented in terms of planning. There's no overall planning. Um, we've seen the disaster with fracking happening. We see it with HS2 and we see it with the water sector now. So when we see these, these spills in rivers, is that largely because there's been a storm? And so there's a lot of... It's runoff. They're allowed to give to do runoff at that point, aren't so they? So is that normally the, the cause of it? Uh, usually, yes. Yeah. I mean, usually we just see the, the sewage overspills after like heavy, continuous like rain events. Um, the reason why water companies do it is um, there's actually a very good reason behind it, because if they would let all this water into, let's say, a wastewater treatment plant, if that would overflow we would have a much bigger problem. Right. Mm. Yeah, because uh, yeah, you'd have everything that's already in there. Yeah. I mean, I can see how that could turn quite nasty quite quickly. Yeah. So I'm looking at environmental agency data uh, for what they call event duration monitoring for storm overflows. So in 2016, the total hours of monitored spill events was 100,533. In t- 2022, it was over 1.8 million. So that is 17 and a half times. So has that, it just been stormier? It, uh, has it got wetter? Or, I mean, wh- why? I mean, that is a, a huge increase. So what's the reason for that? I mean, good question. I, I don't have a definite answer to this. I mean, yes, one aspect is, of course, like natural events. So more, more rain, more storms. But on the other hand, maintenance as well um, in, in, in wastewater treatment plants. Um, so they have to lower the capacity of the water they're treating. Um, so it needs to go somewhere. No? Um. Yeah, they've got to do. I mean, let, let's just boil it back to basics to start with, Kevin, as well, because I want to get a sense of how far, how, how the, what the structure actually is. We know that we have a number of water companies in the country who have particular areas where they operate. And within those areas, you don't have a choice. They're your water supplier. That's it. Um, and they get the water whichever way they do. And they make money from it. So, so how does it work in terms of public service? What are their obligations? How does the system actually work? Well, 
first of all, they also have to pay. They have to pay for an abstraction license to the environment agency, so to the government, um, for taking water from wherever is the source, whether it's groundwater or whether it's surface water. Well, there are roughly 25 water companies. They're all private. Um, some of them do both. So they supply water as well as treating wastewater. Some just supply water. And then one of the other companies who do both, they do the actual wastewater treatment. If you look closely, it's not actually 25 companies. Um, for example, Cambridge Water is exactly the same as Northumbrian Water because it's the same company that's behind it. And there are other examples as well. They differ in size vastly. Um, so we have Thames Water, which is, I think, among the top three like largest water supplies in the world, 13 million customers. Uh, and then we have a very small one. I can't remember the name now. Somewhere, I think, in... Dorset, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe in Hampshire, just serving two villages and army barracks. Um, so you see the scope. Um, this is all based on like historic like water supply areas. So when water was privatized in 1989, they basically just took over these existing like water supply areas. Um, and they are responsible for um, providing like clean water um, to private customers as well as um, businesses. Um, they treat wastewater if they do it, or another company will do it. There are interesting enough. The, the water companies play a huge role when it comes to drought and water scarcity, but less so when it comes to flooding. That's more an issue of the Environment Agency, which, which falls within government. And do they have? A franchise? Is it like the rail thing that they have to, that they get a franchise, they have to maintain certain standards or they could lose it to a different company? Yeah, not really. Um, I mean, the, the, the fundamental difference, if you look to, let's say, railway or electricity or telecoms, is that water is a natural monopoly because the infrastructure is just expensive. It's expensive, expensive, expensive. Not just imagine where, where are all these pipes? They're underground. No? So, um, Infrastructure investments are for 50, 60, if not longer years. Um, so there's no point from a like commercial point of view to have parallel supply systems. So, and this is why you end up, you live in a place, like I live in Oxford, so I have no choice. I have to go with Thames Water. It is different, though, for business customers. Um, from a certain size, I don't, I, and I don't remember now, it's based on like how many employees, you actually have a choice, like we all have, when it comes to broadband or, um, or electricity. That comes with other problems in, in the water sector. Um, and, and I'm happy to go into this. Well, well I, I suppose um, that the interesting point in it, is, is if a company like Thames Water fails utterly and, and does terrible things and, and, and all its pipes break, what, what sanctions are there? I mean, if they can't be deprived of the franchise, how are they controlled? Well, they are controlled by an economic or, or first of all, or there are many regulators. There are, if you look, if you just look at England and Wales, because the, the situation in Scotland and Northern Ireland is different. It's still in public hands. Um, so in England and Wales, it's it's seven regulators who take control over the water sector. But the most important one um, next to the Environment Agency is certainly Ofwat. So one of these Off, no, Ofsted, Ofgem. So here we have Ofwat. So the Office for Water Services Regulation, I think, is the official term. So they make sure that water companies are not overcharging us. Um, so they do these so-called price reviews. Um, and the second thing is that Offwat tells water companies how much of their profits they have to invest into infrastructure, leakage repair, and other things. 
However, that number is ridiculously low if you measure it up against. Well, and, and based on what as well? I mean, if they are, and I suspect a bunch of economists and uh, uh, public servants, what do they know about the level of investment that's required? I mean, that is a decision based on how much needs to be paid to repair the pipes. It's an engineering you, question. It's an engineering question. Absolutely. You've got to know, and you've got to understand the state of the network that you're yeah, dealing with. And I mean, there's lots of data out there. I mean, that's not the issue. There's too much data. Um, what is interesting mm. is who owns that data, no? for example, like reservoir, like monitoring and all these things. Um, and it seems that, for example, the Environment Agency is kind of like losing a little bit of that control because all of these reservoirs, for example, belong to the water companies now. So what do they do with this data? Um, and um, the second aspect or, or important aspect here is well that um, there's a lot of um, like what I would say like a revolving door principle of like jobs between um Environment agency, DEFRA, water companies, offward consultancies. And it's remember, it's a very small sector, twenty-five plus minus like companies. No? So, do you really want to um, like put any damage to your former employer? Maybe not. No? So, well, turn on to on that. I went to the the offward website and I, I I saw a quote from Michael Roberts, who was the uh, chief executive of uh, of Offward. He isn't anymore. It seems like they, it changes every few years. Uh, he said, "Oh no, I should. I apologise. He was uh, sorry. He was the chief executive of Water UK. Sorry, but he said." Offwat reckon that water bills uh, today are around £120 uh, lower than without privatisation and tough independent regulation. Customer satisfaction for water and sewage services is around 90%. And there is a high trust in water companies, he says. Uh, that is Michael Roberts. Well, from- we'd love to know the data that that's based on, I have to say. <laughs> Who on earth has he been asking? When I go, so he's from the industry body, Water UK. So obviously yeah. they're, they're going to talk it up. But when I go and have a look at the Offwat website, I mean, there's a lot of uh, sort of positive propaganda there as well, as though they're doing a fantastic job. You'd be thinking the regulator would actually be giving them a hard time. It looks like they're on their side. Yeah, um, and that's, I mean, it's that's laughable to say that there's lots of trust in the water um, industry because it's exactly the opposite. Um, and this is what I get from my conversations with people from water companies in, in research projects, but also in conferences. That's the main thing. If there's anything... What, uh, English water companies try to avoid it's talking to their customers because they are afraid. Um, this is like, look at last year. We, we, we went through a drought last summer, but they, they, they tried, by all means, they tried to, or whatever it took, they tried to avoid uh, imposing a host pipe ban because they thought it wouldn't make them look bad. But um, my recommendation is always start that conversation and it needs to come from both sides it needs to come from us from the public as well as the water companies to build up that trust because that's exactly what's lacking but how about how bad is the situation actually in, in reality so we we know that i mean obviously it's not great that water is being pumped into into rivers the sewage is sewage going through yeah sewage is being and bad. also that we that some we seem to be potentially running out of water. That's another. Well, that, that, let's take that as a separate discussion. But just this sort of uh, this overspill from heavy rain and the like. 
I mean, maybe, just being a devil's advocate here, maybe that's acceptable. I mean, we know that, for example, if you're, you know, if you live near the coast in an area where you actually would want to get in the water, like Australia, for example, you don't get in the water after heavy rain because, you know, the water quality isn't going to be so great. You also know there are sharks and things. Well, there's that too. Yeah. And they, you know, if there's a lot more pollution, there's sharks more likely to get you as well because they're more likely to be around. But I mean, just generally, you, you accept the fact that when there's heavy rain, you don't go swimming quite so much. So maybe that's, you know, an expectation that, that we should have. And, you know, I, on the other side, you know, are we still get fresh water. I mean, UK water is not too bad. I looked at a study from Yale University, and they rank us for drinking water uh, first in the, I mean, equal first in in the world. So we've we do have pretty good water. And again, going back to Australia, I can remember this period when we've been told don't drink the drinking water because there's something in it which is going to make you a bit sick. Oh, the, that doesn't seem to happen too often here. No, not really. And and there's there's another regulator, the Drinking Water Inspectorate, who makes sure that it's like. Um, up to standards. And I mean, if you live in the Southeast where we have these chalk streams, we're the envy of the world because yes, you need to descale your cattle once a month, but on the other hand, it's wonderful water. Um, you have the opposite in Glasgow. Um, look at the statistics. They have a very high osteoporosis, um, like in terms of numbers, because their water is very soft because it lacks the calcium. Um, but generally speaking, yes, um, there is water, but it's very difficult. I mean, I think one of the, for me, often an interesting discussion with people is that the UK, England is conceived as being like a very wet country. No? It always rains. It doesn't. No? Um, yes, it rains a lot, but it, it rains a lot in the Northwest and in Wales. But look at the Southeast and London. This is where everyone wants to live. This is where people move. And these are water scarce areas. Mm-hmm. But doesn't doesn't that then push the idea of moving away from separate companies into some national system in which the imbalances can be worked out? Yeah, I mean, the fact that they are separate companies, does that stop some sort of investment in a national infrastructure? Yeah, national grid of water, effectively. Yeah, I mean, there actually were plans for a national water grid in the late 60s, um, but then they were stopped in 1973 with the first oil price shock. So, and then it was completely abandoned afterwards. Water companies do share water, but that's usually what's called bulk water. So that's untreated water. Um, So they have these agreements, but it's true. There's no national water grid like we have, for example, for electricity in the UK. So you can't transport water, let's say, from like the Kielder Forest or the Kielder Reservoir in the northeast down to Dorset if you need it in the summer. That's impossible. Um, One needs to be careful as well with um, sharing water. Um, There had been plans for what's called an inter-basin transfer. So you, for example, from the Severn Basin into the Thames Basin, but that comes with ecological problems as well. You can't just move water from one catchment area into another one. Different species in the water, so different aquatic life. That has ramifications if you are um, then, in this case, for um, for the Thames. Um, So it's not that easy. Um, what we see in, in recent years is that water companies have these regional associations. So there's water resources southeast, there's water resources Anglia, there's one in the north, there's one in the southwest. That's a good start. We've moved, we moved from obviously a lot of uh, our anger about various ways in which the system isn't working. But I know you've been looking into ways in which it could work better in, in your researches. So give us a sense of how of how our water system could be better. Well, it's, I mean, what's what's astonishing for me is that because of privatization and because it's a relatively small sector, um, it's become highly professionalized, which is good, of course, lots of expertise, 
However, the public has not been involved in that discussion for the last 30 years. And there's lots of expertise out there. What we call it lay knowledge, call it like local knowledge, but it's wonderful the knowledge that people have about water resources. And we're and we are a water-rich country. I mean, we're surrounded by the sea, first of all. Yes, we cannot drink this. Uh, but there's rivers, there's canals, which play a huge part of, of the history of this country. Huh? So water's everywhere, um, yet we're lacking that conversation. So um, maybe as an example, think about like, I think two or three years ago, or maybe it was even pre-pandemic, we had a climate change citizen assembly. I would like to see something similar for water because as I said earlier as well, we need to have that conversation about water because we, first of all, it's that trust issue between water companies um, and, and their customers or the public in general. But then second, because we've been out of that conversation for so long, we need to learn more about like water again and, and really trust. So, so for example, when I speak to school children, I say like, go home and then find out where's your water actually coming from. Right? That's the first step. Right? Um, and many people would be surprised where it's coming from. If you live in Birmingham, well, your water comes from Wales, 70 miles away. Right. That's interesting. So a lot in this, the, I mean, you, you raised the issue, though, sort of areas where there's, you know, a huge concentration of population, like in the southeast. Where's that water coming from? Because obviously there's no big reservoirs and, uh, you know, there's no space to... You can't flood a valley in the uh, in the south of England because people in Kent, well, first of all, there are no valleys and if there were, they'd have something to say yeah, about I it. I mean, in in the south or in the southeast, it's typically uh, groundwater um, that, that supplies water. And the further you go north in England, it, it then moves on to becoming more surface water abstraction. So in the Lake District, so that's more surface water. In the southeast, it's it's typically groundwater. But take the example, for example, um, in South London. So south of the River Thames, we have a different geology. So I know people who, or there are areas in South London um, where people have suddenly like wet basements um, because the water table is rising, but you can't actually use that water because it's so contaminated from industrialization that it's unusable even if you try to clean it. No? So it's sometimes you are water rich, but you can't actually use it. No? So given all, all that you're saying in that sort of way, and the need for a conversation is what you're talking about, this citizen assembly. To but most people are going to say, well, I don't, I, you know, I don't want a public conversation because I don't, I don't know enough about it. I just want the mm, experts to be informed. To get, well, yeah, I want, I'm happy to be informed, but I want the experts to get on with it. And, and clearly the experts are failing, which is a fair enough point of view, isn't it? So well, there are why, some experts well, like Kevin who are analysing it, who are trying to suggest ways it could work better. I mean, and Kevin, do you think the the, pro- you'd hope the company, well, some of the experts, are working that, for these companies? Though, well, they you? have an interest, don't they? That's the problem uh, in in the preservation of the system. I suppose. Well, the question really, Kevin, is if the current system doesn't seem to be working, is it time? to move away from the privatisation model. Well, how does it work in Scotland? You're saying that in Scotland it's still in public hands. So is the, is it working better there? I, I don't have enough knowledge, um, to be honest, about like Scotland's water supply system to make that judgment. It is still public in, 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 in Scotland. Um, there's only one water supplier, which is Scottish Water. Uh, funny enough, it's run like a private company. Um, but um, in Scotland, for example, there's another problem. Here we get water bills, so at least or whatever, once a year, twice a year, every month, um, whatever the rhythm is. So at least there's a chance that people look at it. 
in Scotland, it's part of your council tax bill. So often people just don't even realise how much it is, how much they've been using, etc. So, so bill is a good thing, isn't it? Because that makes us conscious. And metering of how much, too, I guess. Yes, because it makes us conscious of how much we're using. And that would be, I mean, if there has to be extra investment in, in supplying water, then obviously we do want people to be a little bit more canny about how much they use and uh, and, and moderate their behaviour, you know, make it expensive if you are a heavy user. That makes eminent sense. So irrespective of what you're providing, it's water or electricity, to cope with the peak obviously costs a great deal more and you want to try and uh, reduce that investment as much as possible by, by reducing usage. So that makes a great deal of sense, doesn't yeah, it? And, and, and there are models for this and, and, and there are examples from, from, from other countries in the world. So you, you have these block tariffs, I think they're called, so it's, I don't know, it's like one price for, let's say, up to a certain amount of water. But then if you use more, for example, because you have a swimming pool, because you've got a large garden and you're using lots of water, um, then you pay more or you pay more at peak times, etc. But you mentioned metering, which is very interesting because the, the UK has the lowest like metering rate um, of all the OECD countries. It's just about 50%. And you would think that metering is a no-brainer because look at the discussion we have with electricity now, with prepaid meters and all. And we find it quite normal that we know how many kilowatt hours we're using. But when it comes to water, people are often like, no, 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 no. This is very personal. It's none of your business how much water I use. And as I would say, like, it's... As I said, it's a no-brainer. Well, for a water company, better planning. And for us as customers, well, you only pay what you what you use. Mm. Yeah, well, maybe Rishi Sunak uh, is his a big, big word about his swimming pool and how much that would cost. <laughs> I thought that might so, come up at so some point. <laughs> getting back to you know, almost where we started about whether it's a, a question of investment then and whether enough is being spent. Off what argue on their website that investment in water uh, has been running at about £10 billion a year since 2000, which is an interesting number uh, at the surface level, but the population has increased by 15% over that time. And assuming they are nominal figures and they don't say they're not, so you assume they they are. Are, then really allowing for inflation that should be about 17 billion a year just to stay even then if you add 15 percent population growth then really it should be about 20 billion so on ba- on the basis of their own figures they're actually saying investment has halved since 2000 yeah so and that is central to the problem isn't it kevin there isn't enough investment it is yeah and and i mean i remember um i think it was a study that um carried out by the financial times or i was reading in the financial times five six years ago that if thames water for example um continues with its current speed of leakage repair in London, it will take them another 400 years to repair all the leakage. I mean, the leakage in some parts of London is 25%. Um, so every litre no, of, of every litre, like a quarter gets lost on its way to your tap. That's a lot. I mean, it's 25%. There are areas in Italy where it's 88%. But to give you a positive example, in, in, in Berlin, it's been three percent, and that's since nineteen since mm, the nineteen seventies. So why the why the big difference? I mean, these, obviously, a lot of this these are you know pipes laid in Victorian times out of I don't know what material they were using, but obviously, well, lead not, was a lot of it. I think. Yeah, well, that would be a worry too, as mm. well, wouldn't it? So, uh, I mean, does it all just need to be replaced? And how big an undertaking would that be? I mean, it's it's it sounds like it's a, a I mean, a phenomenal amount of money would have to be spent to get us up to the speed where we're not seeing that level of wastage, wouldn't it? No, I mean it's. I think there are different kind of like angles of attack for this. So first of all, yes, leakage repair is one thing. It's costly. It's time intensive. People get frustrated because you need to close roads and streets because you need to dig up um, and replace. Um, 
The other thing is, of course, just to be more water savvy as well. Um, so there, a lot of the like education by water company focuses on school children, but never on adults, um, interesting enough, um, or very little. I mean, but you can go on, on, on your water supplier's website and they give you lots of things for free, actually, um, to save water. Right? They, um, and because, for example, when it comes to, like, if you have a garden, um, like, don't use fresh water to, to water your flowers um, um, or whatever you're growing. No? Like, use the washing up water, for example. That's perfect. If it, have a, it, if it has a couple of food rests in it, even better. Minerals. So what they call grey water, I think, isn't it? Exactly, grey water. So I think, so that's one thing um, of better, like, water user behaviour as well. Um, I think another, I mean, we are in a lucky position in the, in, in the UK that we don't do a lot of irrigation, mm. um, which you find a little bit in Kent and, and East Sussex, right, where we grow like um, fruits right, and berries. Um, there's a little bit of what's called trickle irrigation. Um, and then we find some irrigation in East Anglia for, for the potatoes. Uh, apparently, it wouldn't actually be necessary, but it's the big four supermarkets who demanded um, that potatoes look nice when they are. But, but a lot of these things you're talking about, the are in a sense peripherals. If the actual infrastructure, the basics of water supply, are not what they should be and are beginning well, to fail, but, it, it, but you build according to to usage, don't you? So what you're saying, I think, is let's get, let's get the usage down by by changing behaviour. But you and you can do that by sort of through education, as you're suggesting. But I suspect it's not going to work as well as push jacking the prices up actually metering more and charging but, people but do more. we have any guarantee that even the more money that's 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 put into the water companies is actually going to end up in investment that's that's the issue because mm. the companies don't seem to have been willing to do that in the past i mean that that's that's basically true isn't it yeah, yeah. and it's and it's one of the fundamental like things that really like keep me wondering like every time i'm i'm writing about water or thinking about like water and my research that i think so what was actually the point of privatization, if not to boost innovation. But we have seen nothing of that, to be honest. I mean, don't get me wrong, they're wonderful people in water companies and they're doing great stuff. Um, and um, if, if it was up to me, I would recommend anyone, if it's possible, visit a wastewater treatment plant and you know how complex, how costly um, that process is. So you learn a lot about water and you value it more and, 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 and you know what they're actually doing. But um, that lack of innovativeness just really shocks me. But is in the end the answer to that simply more regulation to force these water companies to do that, to, to invest? Yeah, or, I mean, more regulation is one answer. Renationalization is another answer. Um, it's, I, I don't know where where we can start like incentivizing them to but this is why we see what we were talking about at the very beginning that like they, they're playing catch up now because now they're realizing oh, oh public pressure is amounting uh, on these issues of raw sewage um leakage and other things people get angry when they see a newspaper article where it says okay ceo of water company xyz another two million pound bonus uh, and you think like hello what's going on here um so mm. it, there's, there's many things that come together. And I think from a public perspective, there's no point in like playing the angry child and, and just like, mm, you need to fix this. Um, I pay for my water. No, you, we also need to be open a little bit towards water companies, I think. And yeah. then open 
even more. <laughs> and how and how realistic it are our expectations as well? Because clearly, it takes a lot of work. It take it would take a, an immense amount of work to try and fix all of these problems we've got with the pipes which are in the ground. Uh, and I've I've seen firsthand how long it takes because I'm in a town where one road, one of the two major roads into the town, has been closed off now for three months. Uh, while the local water authority are relaying the pipes to allow for greater capacity for a new housing estate that's being built. Three months, one road has been completely closed off. It, none of this happens quickly, does it? So it's, it's, it's costly, but also it's, it has repercussions for the rest of society because it you know, involves digging up a lot of the country to get these pipes fixed. And all of this is coordination, I would think. And, and this is the problem with what you call a you know, natural monopoly. Does the market idea of having separate companies doing all this make much sense because the amount of administration bureaucracy that's needed for example to dig up a road and coordinate with the other arms is so huge maybe nationalization is yes and no No, i mean i I don't have a definite answer to this i know i have a colleague here at oxford university who says no it's not about like whether you renationalize or not it's about better regulation Mm. Um, i think it's a little bit too simple that argument because i for me it's that trust issue which is very important because i think there would be much more understanding by the public for these measures like digging up the road, replacing pipes, etc. If they would see improvements, if they would see, okay, yes, water companies are listening to us. There. But are there any technology, uh, technological developments which are actually making mending pipes faster or, or more efficient? Or are we basically, is it taking a long time and costing a lot because basically there's not been any advancements in that technology? And is that, and, and why not? Because we've seen technological advances in almost every aspect of our lives but maybe not in how water is shifted. No, around. actually, no, no, that's not true. I mean, there's lots of, or there, there, there have been lots of improvements in terms of like how the pipes look like, how you put them actually in the ground, the material, make them last longer, etc. So that's all happening. Um, I think the biggest like technological advancements are happening in terms of how to spot leakage as well, um, like whether you send like little kind of like mini robots down the pipes who are checking where is it actually um that leak um and these things so so there's lots going on but i mean as you said it's it's a tricky issue now so there's the water company they need to apply for planning permission to for then the road needs to be closed so it's 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 well that's my point about the whole you know it being carved up into lots of little areas including privately owned areas which which whichever way you look at it whether it's privatized or or, uh, renationalized i should say or or whether we have uh, greater regulation at the end of the day uh, a lot more needs to be done, doesn't it? And wherever it comes from, more money needs to be spent. That's, the, I mean, that's that's the end game. And it sounds like you know, well, I mean, those figures I gave shows that investment has sort of almost halved in the, yeah. since two thousand. So we, it needs to go back to where it was. So we need to double the amount. That but how been- do you get them to do it? That's that's the interesting. I mean, Kevin, what is the mechanism? More regulation, government pushing, shareholders pushing. I mean, what is the what's the yeah. way to do it? I mean, I think that. Um, the government in the form of like DEFRA and, and the Environment Agency, especially, they're not actually using the levers they have um, at their disposal because it's a heavily regulated industry already. But, um, for example, water companies need to provide like drought plans, business plans. They need to provide so-called water resources management plans where they need to to, to prove like how they match demand and supply in the next 25 years. These need to be updated every five years. So there's lots going on. Often these are like tick boxing exercises. Um, 
but it gives actually the environment agency a lot of power um, over water companies because w- what about like adding a few extra points there um, and, and a few extra boxes that need to be ticked? Um, and water companies need to reply to this. Otherwise, um, these plans are not approved and then they have a problem. Mm-hmm. I think I think you're right about the the idea about you know having a public debate, even though the public might not say they you know they know enough about it to be involved in that debate. But if we say there's a big job here that needs to be done, then obviously you've got to get the public on side. And it seems to me like the interested players at the moment, whether it's the the water boards or whether it's Water UK, which is the industry body, the whole approach really is damage limitation in terms of PR. In fact, Water UK mm. is headed, the chief executive is basically, I mean, if you look at her history, she was a BBC journalist and then she worked in corporate PR for a long time. It'd be nice to have people in those positions <laughs> who were engineers who actually could hold, you yes. know, you could hold a discussion BBC about the new people know almost nothing about water. Well, I mean, they're all unemployable these days, Roger, you know that. But I mean, it's, um, yeah, I mean, it would be nice to have experts in the field wouldn't it engaging the public and saying well this is the size of the issue this is how much it's going to cost this is the issue that we face and and uh, and and how are we going to develop a plan that we're all on board with rather than just saying uh, trying to minimize uh, uh, our expectations and gloss over the, the damage which we clearly are seeing yeah, is I mean, happening. Yeah, yeah and that's true i mean what we're doing at the moment is damage limitation i i do think the expertise is actually already there um we're not seeing it in the top positions um, because the water industry is treated like any other industry um, where it's nice to have a job for a couple of years and then you move on as a CEO. Um, But that's due to the nature of how these companies are structured because they are shareholder based. Um, They, I mean, I don't, I mean, I might be wrong, but there's, there's just a couple of them who are actually UK based. So uh, take for example, Wessex water, that's a, that's Malaysian, Thames Water, there's very little kind of like UK in there actually in their shareholder base. So um, it's at that top level. No? And as they say, no, the, the, the fish no, like stinks from the head. No? So um, in this case, <laughs> no, if we. Especially when the fish is out of water, I suppose you yeah, might say. Yeah. So is there, is there a plan? Has there ever been a plan? I mean, that's what we're talking about, isn't it? We need, we need a plan. Is, is there actually well, one? The DEFRA recently released like a water plan. But um, I mean, these things are, uh, I need to be a little cautious what I say here. But it's, it's, no, you don't. You don't hold back. <laughs> Tell us what you think. You're among friends. It's, it's the, the superficiality of these things. It's nice. It's all right. What, what they're saying there, it's all what we need to do. But it, it just barely scratches the surface. Now, they all say, yes, we need like things like catchment management. We need to improve this. We need to reduce leakage. Yes, yes, yes. We've known this for years, if not decades. Huh? So the action needs to follow. But I, I remember, I think it was last year, I attended a talk by the head um, of, no, he's actually the CEO of the Environment Agency. Um, And he he was challenged by another audience member on monitoring in relation to to the the sewage scandal. And he said, listen, we've got this new program because that audience member was challenging him and said, like, your budget for monitoring has just been slashed from 400 million to 40 million. And then he went on and said, like, listen, we've got this new program. It's called 
doing more with less. And everyone just started laughing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. It's called desperation by the sounds of it. And it's very, yeah. very common right across the public life in Britain. Well, I think that's the upshot, isn't it, Kevin? We need a plan and yep. we need to be taken seriously. Yep. And uh, and politics needs to be in the, in the, in the middle of all of this because it's not going to get anywhere without uh, the public on yep. board. And, you know, if you were uh, like hoping to, you know, lead the next government, you might sort of think, well, this is something you could take on board and, we all uh, and need it. promise. We all yeah. need it. Kevin, thank you very much indeed. Really good You're to welcome. talk to you. And uh, yes, we've got a sense, I suppose, of how it works or how it doesn't work. And um, <laughs> perhaps that's more frightening. But thank you very much for being with us. Yeah, no, thank you for inviting me. Thanks. Yeah, bye. Yeah, so there we are. Like many things, you know, we just we just carry on, you know, without uh, things are bad. Yes. They're getting a bit worse. But you turn we the should tap do, on, We should do you, something about you it. You can have a bath. So you can then have a one shower. day you're going to turn that tap on and nothing is going to come uh, out. And you think we should have paid more attention to this. Don't now. think I haven't lived places where that happens. But yeah. anyway. Mm. Yes. So next, we're going to be on to something, well, very integral. The royal family. Well, we, yes. well between. I mean, obviously, there's a coronation. There is, up. there is coming up and are you going to watch it mm, what makes you think there we are it was, no, I mean just on t- apparently it's going to be on TV uh, ok who so, knew uh, <laughs> but we, I don't know because I'm not sure well it, it, it's a funny situation in lots of ways not least I mean interesting latest is that Sinn Féin's president is coming to the coronation now I mean that is just no, that's bizarre a, a change in circumstances no, I mean, absolutely yeah. <sighs> I mean so maybe this is something that unites the nation or maybe actually a lot of people don't care and I think that's the impression I'm slightly getting yeah I think so I, and uh, which is amazing isn't it when you mm. think about it and it is just the change of personnel at the top because mm. we all love the Queen Charles Camilla, mm. less so. Yeah, uh, and so is that. Is that uh, so? Well, we're the question: that. Are we are we close to the end of the yeah. royal family? Yeah, yeah. Are, are, are they? Oh, maybe they'll be there, but they'll be a little bit more. You know, they'll be figureheads. Well, they obviously always were, but more so even. And then that's if that is the case, we're all going to be questioning how much money we spend on the royal family. We'll we? and spend it all on water instead. <laughs> Fixing water. That's a good idea. <laughs> We right. just solved well, the problem. The royal flush. Now you see how I work. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Very anyway, nice. So that, we that, are in the company of uh, the professionals here. I tell you, absolutely terrifying thought. Um, <laughs> yes. So we're back with the royals. Well, not with the royals. We're talking about the royals next week on the Y Curve. Brought to you by Wigmore Associates. See you next week. Thanks for listening. The Y Curve.